I am reading today from the translation known as The Message by Dr. Eugene Peterson. I want you to hear this text a little differently today, so listen. Let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen, instead of going through the gate, you know he's up to no good, a sheep rustler. The shepherd walks right up to the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him, and the sheep recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he gets them all out, he leads them and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. Jesus told this simple story, but they had no idea what he was talking about. So he tried again. I'll be explicit then. I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good. Sheep stealers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. This is the word of the Lord. Hello. I'd like to welcome you to the Restaurant of Life. Now, some people come to the Restaurant of Life for the fabulous food, and some people come for the incredible atmosphere. But most people come to learn something about themselves. That's right. My name is Carson, and I will be your waiter today. So, do you have a reservation? I'd like, you, you don't think so? Well, well, are you the kind of person that just barges in on life? Is that it? Or, or maybe you need to be the kind of person that prepares in life. So, so name please. Uh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I have you down here. Yes, someone called last week for you. Holy people in large steeple. Is, is that you? Is that, is that you? That, that is. Oh, okay, okay. And I would say there's about 600, 700 people. Okay, I have some wait staff here. They can pull, push some tables together, please, for, for all these folks. I'd appreciate that. All right, now, at the Restaurant of Life, you can sit anywhere you like. I mean, some people like to sit right on the front row. Yeah. And some people don't care where they sit. I mean, we can put them out by the bathrooms. Some people like to sit at the very back, that's close to the back door, so that if something happens in life that they don't like, they can just get out fast. We call them Mr. and Miss Dine and Dash. What it is. Where do you sit in life? Where do you sit? Now, I want to tell you a little something about the food here at the Restaurant of Life. Some of it is very, very good, and some of it is not so good. But the one important rule here, you get what you order. Some people, they're going to order spaghetti. I'm going to bring you spaghetti. 
But you get it, you look at it, and you say, oh, no, no, I was really hoping for steak. You get what you order. Some people, they, they look at their dish, and then they suddenly don't want it anymore. Dysfunctional relationship with cheese sauce. People order that. Yes, it's true. They order that. How about vague career choice with veggies? A lot of our college students order that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. They do. A lot of them order that. Or codependent or alcoholic a la mode. Yeah, that's a very exciting dessert, but it wears off fast. The excitement wears off very quickly. So... I have a a menu here that I'd like to show you, and it's split up into three different parts. The first part here is the appetizers, and I have a special appetizer for you today. It's a Bible appetizer, yes, yes. It's called Wandering in the Wilderness Tidbits, right? They're very dry, very dusty. They kind of move around on the plate just wandering. It's hard to get them uh, at times, but but I give you a glass of water to wash it down. How does that... Oh, I can see. You're not liking that. Well, let's move on. Let's move on to the middle section. Oh, actually, on the back section here, we have what are called mediocre meals. All right? These are meals that you've had before, but you just can't quite give up. There is the ever-popular so-so souffle. Yes, that's a big seller. There's also the plain and normal nachos. Right. Yeah, that's good. There's the I don't want to take a chance chicken. Yeah, that's, that's big. We sell a lot of that. Yeah. Then there's the, there's the uh, unfulfilling sandwich. Now, people order that sandwich, and they eat it, and they look up at me, and they say, that doesn't taste good. But the next time they come to the restaurant of life, they order it again, maybe without mayo or maybe with pumpernickel bread. But it still doesn't taste good. I say you order it, you clean your plate. Okay? Then we have our specialties of the house. They're in the middle section here of our menu. We have our fricassee of faith. We have our grilled carp adium. Yes. Very good. Very good. We have our linguine of love. We have our forgiveness filet and a very big specialty here, our friendship flambe. It's very good. Very good. So while you're here, I I really hope that you'll take time to meet our chef. Our chef's name is I am. I am that I am. That's right. And and our chef has a little uh, nickname, Osher. And I I love kidding around with with, uh, our chef. I go... A.A. Osher, A.A. It's, it's a little inside joke. I'm sorry. It's it just, it's not funny. But our chef wants to meet you very much. Chef wants to meet you and let you know that it's your decision to order what you want in life. It's your choice. But you get what you order. The food here, some of it is very good. Some of it is not so good. It's up to you to decide. At the restaurant of life. Bon appetit. Take a deep breath. Now take another one.
<laughs> well, our waiter at the restaurant of life is Jesus. And we hear Jesus call our name. And we listen very closely and understand because Jesus speaks to us in a language that we get. It's a language of love. It's a language of compassion. It's a human language. And our heart resonates when we hear it. Our scripture today says, I am the gate, says Jesus. And if you walk through me, you will find there life beyond your wildest dreams, really, beyond anything you could ever imagine. It's a life that is full. It's a life where you will be sustained and enriched. And if we use the image of the restaurant of life, then Jesus is the waiter who says to us, if you use your heart and your mind to listen to my voice, then you will make good food choices in your life, food that will sustain and enrich you. But if you use only your mind, say, to, to listen to all the voices in our culture, then you risk the chance of making poor choices, of choosing junk food for you that are unfulfilling, unsustaining. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, or to say that a little differently, savor the fullness of life with all of its ups, with all of its downs, with all of its joys and all of its deep despair, a full life. John Denver, one of my favorite songwriters, I miss him a lot, wrote a song for an album back in 1988, an album that I consider his most spiritual album. Some of you have it out there, I know. It's called Higher Ground. And there's a song on that album that I want us to sing today. You have the words to it inside your bulletin. So pull those out, because we're going to learn it right now. The song is called All This Joy. And it goes like this. All this joy... All this sorrow, all this promise, all this pain, such is life, such is being, such is spirit, such is love. Let's try it. All this joy, all this sorrow, all this promise, all this pain, such is life, such is being, such is spirit, such is love. That's beautiful, beautiful, wow. Do you remember Leo Buscalia? I see some nodding heads out there. You bet. What a character that guy was, I'll tell you. He taught at the University of Southern California. And one of the classes that he taught was on love. And his classes were always filled to the brim with hundreds of students. And you remember many of his PBS specials back in the late 70s and 80s. And I have several of his books on my library shelf. 
Well, Leo Buscalia had a way of helping us see how stuck we were in life. As an example, he said this in his book, Living, Loving, and Learning. He said, for a long time, I lived my life prophylactically. I love that. That's how he said it. I lived my life prophylactically. He said, I was very sensible and sane every hour of every day, year in, year out. And he said, if I had to live my life over again, I'd have a lot more beautiful moments. And so he said, the next time you walk into a grocery store, as an example, he said, and you go to the gourmet section of that grocery store, and you walk by those jars of whatever it is that you love, but you never buy because they're so expensive. You know, $9.98 a jar. He says, buy six of them. <laughs> buy six of them. Take them home. Enjoy them. Love your life. Savor the fullness of that life. And he's given another example. He says, you know those dishes that you have locked up in the cupboard? You know, I know, yep, they're nodding out there. You know those dishes, the ones that Aunt Matilda brought over on the Mayflower. Those. Those are the ones that you never bring out. He says, it's an insult to Aunt Matilda not to use those dishes. So bring them out and use them. Love yourself. Savor your life more. And then Duscalia says these words. He says, life is in your hands. You can select joy if you want. Or you can find despair everywhere you look. It is all yours. Why do some people always see beautiful skies and grass and lovely flowers and incredible human beings, while others are hard-pressed to find anything or any place that is beautiful? You have your brush and colors. You paint paradise, and then in you go. It doesn't matter what colors you're using now. You can always decide on new ones. I am the gate, says Jesus. Come, walk through me, and you'll find there a life that is full and rich. It's not going to be a rose garden. Oh, no. It's going to have its ups and downs. It's going to have its real high moments and real low moments. But I will be there, and God will be there, to sustain you throughout it all. I promise you that. One of my best friends is Howard Hanger, who is the, the spiritual director at Jubilee Community in Asheville, North Carolina. We've had Howard come to Boston Avenue on several occasions. He is... Uh, he, he gave the Christmas concert for us uh, the last couple of years, and we hope to have him come out again this year. Well, Howard was telling a story about his father in a recent sermon that I want to share with you. His father was an amazing man. He was the minister at a United Methodist Church in the Florida conference. And Howard said that he loved life, just loved life. He loved his family. He loved the ocean out there. He loved sunsets and flowers. He just, he really was a person who was a very grateful and happy man. And he loved to take slides. Now, you remember what slides are, don't you? I mean, yeah, I mean, some of you out there, I'm sure, uh, you know, I'm looking, probably don't remember them, but, but, 
Howard's father took thousands of slides, and one weekend he was going through them, and he said, really, you could, you could categorize them into three places. He said he took pictures of family, he took pictures of, of flowers, and he took pictures of sunsets. He said that's basically about it. And his mother and father would take he and his sister to the mountains of North Carolina, up around the Asheville area, right in the Blue Ridge Trail. Oh, just beautiful up there. Uh, every summer, and that's where Howard grew to love the Appalachians. Well, Howard said that his father seldom complained about anything. He really didn't. He said he just loved life so much. But there was another side of Howard's life that a lot of people really didn't know, and that is that his mother suffered from depression. And it was back in that time when there really weren't that many drugs and medications to deal with that mental illness. And so Howard and his family would have to struggle through that together, uh, uh, but especially his mom. Uh, it, it, she, she had it her entire adult life. But Howard remembered that, that his father didn't really complain about that at all either. He said he, said he really would say over and over again how much he loved his wife, how much he loved his family and, and, and everything around him. He was just a remarkable guy. But, but Howard got to the question. He said, where does that joy really come from? And Howard said, I really don't know. I really don't. He said, but I can say that my father was deeply committed to love. He was utterly committed to love, he said, more than cards and flowers, more than uh, any religious creed, uh, more than anything. He, he, just, he just lived his life out of that kind of sense of love. It was wonderful. And he said on one occasion, he remembered as a boy, being down in his room, and Howard had an old rocking chair that he loved. He did his homework in that, in that chair. He did his uh, you know, television watching in that chair. He said it creaked just right, just at the right moment. He spent a lot of time right in that. And he said he remembered his dad coming downstairs, uh, and he thought he was just back uh, doing something behind him, but actually his father was standing in the doorway of his room just watching Howard from afar. Howard didn't know it. And he stood there for a long, long time. And the next thing he knew, he came up behind Howard and gave him a big hug and just held him tight for the longest while. His cheek pressed up against Howard's cheek. And he whispered into his ear after a moment, I love you more than life. And then he let go. And Howard said he looked up at his dad and he saw tears coming down his face. And he assumed that his father and mother were having a pretty difficult time then. She was pretty sick, he thought. But Howard and his father didn't talk about that moment ever again. They really didn't. But Howard understood that it was his dad's commitment to love that allowed him to savor the fullness of life. I am the gate, says Jesus. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, even through those very painful dark times 
and those times that are really high moments through the sadness and the joy. Through those moments where you think life is just going to end and those moments where you just can't get enough, it's so good. It's a full life. A life that we sing together now. Let's sing. All this joy, all this sorrow, all this promise, all this pain, such is life, such is being, such is spirit, such is love. Y'all are good. You are, really. I love cemeteries. I really do. I love Civil War cemeteries and especially Revolutionary War cemeteries. When I've been in the Boston area, I love walking around and looking at the headstones, reading the epitaphs that are still on many of them. It's amazing, but still on many of them. And down through the years, I have collected some of these epitaphs. Uh, I don't know why, but, but I just have. Uh, it sure comes in handy today, i got to tell you. Uh, it, it, they are they're really wonderful, and some of them are just classic. Uh, so, so here's some. This one comes from a cemetery in England. It says this. It's about Anna Wallace. The children of Israel wanted bread, and the Lord sent them manna. Old clerk Wallace wanted a wife. And the devil sent him Anna. Yeah, that's, that's an actual one. I'm telling you, that is it. Whoop. Okay, in a Uniontown, Pennsylvania cemetery, says this, Here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. Exactly. That's on there. Actual one, promise. I used to live in Nevada, out in the Las Vegas area, and, and I went to a cemetery in Silver City where it says this, Here lays the kid. We planted him raw. He was quick on the trigger, but slow on the draw. That's it. You're good. Follow. Keep going. All right. Now, some husbands have some things to say about their wives, and they say it after they're gone. Here's one. John Dryden back in 1700, said this about his wife. Here lies my wife. Here let her lie. Now she's at rest, and so am I. <laughs> okay, turn about fair play, all right? Now the wife has something to say about the husband. This is about Tom Smith. This is from 1742. It says, Tom Smith is dead, and here he lies. Nobody laughs and nobody cries. Where his soul's gone or how it fares, nobody knows and nobody cares. <laughs> how about that? But I tell you, I saved my favorite for, for the last. It's, it's not all that funny, but it's just so poignant. I love it. It says, this is from England, another England cemetery. On the 22nd of June, Jonathan Fiddle went out of tune. Isn't that, isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? I like that. I like that a lot. How will your epitaph read? Will it say, Oh, she was a sensible girl. She didn't break one of Aunt Matilda's dishes. 
Or will it say, Jim was a happy man for 84 years, made a lot of money, but not a lot of cheer? Is that how you want to be remembered? I hope not. I hope not. You don't have to keep ordering the unfulfilling sandwich in your life. You don't. There's a whole smorgasbord of other uh, tasty delights that you can have. They include that fricassee of faith, that grilled carpe diem, the linguine of love, the forgiveness filet, that friendship flambe. All of those put together make up a full life. I am the gate, said Jesus. Come, walk through me, and you'll have a life that is full and rich, sustaining and enriching. Savor the fullness of life. Let's sing one more time. All this joy, all this sorrow, all this promise, all this pain, such is life, such is being, such is spirit, such is love. Amen.